And it's a really, really good question. And I, again, this week I've tried to be able to take things that are complex and try to present them to you in ways that are a little bit more simple. Because if they're simple, then we can apply them easier. And so I say, when learning how to listen to God, the first thing is, is know His truth. Okay, just know what He says is true. Because if you know what is true, you can participate with that truth. Right? If you know what's true, you can do what's true. If you can do what's true, you can make good decisions. Okay? So when it comes to listening to God, recognize that He will always be very, very consistent in the message that He sends. It will be aligned with the Bible, it will be aligned with His Word, it will be aligned with truth. So first off, know what is true. And like Pastor David said, you've got to go into the Word to get that. The next one is sometimes it's not so easy and you need to make a decision and you're not sure what the right decision is. I heard it described one time um, as uh, wisdom is knowing what to do when the rules don't apply. There's another Tim Keller quote that I talked about Tim Keller last night. And sometimes you just need to make a decision. You might not know exactly what God wants you to do, but you've got to make a decision. And that brings us to what we talked about last night. What's your greatest fear and what's your greatest treasure? If your greatest fear is missing out on what God has for you, then He's your greatest treasure. And if He's your greatest fear and your greatest treasure, then your heart is in the right place. So if you make a decision, and even if you mess that decision up and it was the wrong one, if your heart's in the right place and it's after Him, you'll figure it out quickly. So learning to listen to God is knowing His truth, making decisions, and just making sure that He's your greatest fear and your greatest treasure so that if you mess it up and you're going to mess it up, you can fix it quickly. And we call that learned experience and wisdom. So that's how you can listen to God. You know, there's a, there was another one here. Um, it's funny. So the question was, what's the meaning of life? And uh, sometimes people say, what's the meaning of life? And then they, they mean it sarcastically. But it's actually a really good question. So I, I, I don't know, maybe one sarcastic question, but I'm going to answer it anyways. Um, and uh, I, I, there's a lot of different ways that you can, you can answer that question. But to be consistent with what we've looked at this weekend, um, I would say meaning of life is just participate in the way God created you, right? Remember yesterday we talked about the analogy of the computer, right? Or you know, maybe there's a better analogy. There's a microphone, right? Somebody developed, somebody developed this microphone, somebody designed this microphone, somebody created this microphone, okay? Say I created the microphone. There is no way that this microphone can understand me, right? And I know you're like, yeah, of course you can, because it's not living. Yeah, but there's intelligence behind it, right? So maybe the computer is a better analogy because computers are artificial intelligence, right? No matter how intelligent artificial intelligence gets, it will never completely understand the one who created it. So what's the meaning of life? I would say be wise enough to participate in this created world in the way that the creator created you to do it. Because if you don't, you're just going to end up frustrated, confused, and in chaos. Just like a computer that gets a virus. When it doesn't work the way it's intended to, there's chaos and a lot of frustration. So what's the meaning of life? Know God, make Him known, live in His truth. Because then you're living in a way that's consistent with how you were designed. And that will lead to progress. And it won't lead to chaos. Um, another question was a um, really good one. What did you mean last night when you're talking about your son and your bad that you're interested in his hockey? I didn't explain it very well. It's a really good question. Um, 
I love my son, my other son, and my daughter. And I love the things that they're interested in. Something that my son's like are sports. I like sports. My son's playing hockey, and yesterday he was playing hockey, and I was able to watch some of the games through the live stream that a parent was, was doing in our home. Um, there was nothing wrong with that. From great joy to sit on that couch, and even though it was buffering and I couldn't really see anything, to at least try to watch my son play hockey. Where it can become a problem for me personally is when his hockey becomes my greatest fear and greatest treasure. Listen, I want my son to be the best hockey player he can be because he loves it. But I want to make sure that he understands that worship is always more important than winning. And when we go into the backyard in our backyard rink and we're practicing skills and we're practicing drills and I'm putting money into his game, sometimes it can be really, really easy to start thinking about his performance as being more important than his worship. And in that case, my greatest fear is him not being the best that he could be. My greatest treasure is him kicking everybody else's butt that they're going to do in church. <laughs> Alright? But don't for a minute think that I don't want to teach him how to be an absolute warrior on the ice. So that he can step onto the ice and have a competitive advantage against anybody that he plays against. Because he understands that whoever he comes up against, he can go against them with courage, with skill, with determination, and with perseverance. Because all of those things are how God created him to be. And so when he steps on the ice, I want him to understand how Christ can be his greatest fear and his greatest treasure while he knocks somebody on their can and goes to the net and scores a goal. And then skates back to the face-off circle, understanding that what he did was strong and it was wise, and he's not looking to draw attention to himself, but he's looking to draw attention to his creator. And it's exactly what David did when he ran at Goliath and then cut his head off. We've been talking about a lot of things this week in terms of you know, how we participate in this world in the way that God created us to. He created you to win. But he did not create you to win in the way that the world is going to win. There's a big difference, and we're going to talk about that today. But there's actually one more question. I think it's probably the best one. Um, and it's one that I've actually been struggling with for years. It's, um, where's Matt? Matt's in hand us. No, so the question is, how can Matt be so old yet so cool? <laughs> you know, I, Matt's been my good buddy, one of my best buddies for years, and uh, it's something I've struggled with too. I don't know how he can be so old yet so cool. Yeah, I look at him, he's got his hat backwards there. He's just he's such a cool dude. The best way that I've come to be able to describe it is that sometimes God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> And I don't know if I get them. And I, again, the creator can't understand the creator, but he does something wonderful back there in that uh, elderly gentleman who looks like he's so good. I love him, I'm sorry. Anyway, I full disclosure, that was my question. I, 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 I but you were all thinking that. I know you were thinking that. Um, as a school teacher, every single year I try to make sure that I'm structuring my classroom in a way that's personally meaningful for every student. 
The last thing that I ever wanted, it was the same thing for this weekend, the last thing I ever wanted is to be able to come into a classroom or have students come into a classroom and think that they can't find the purpose and why they're there. Right? I'm going to learn math. I have to learn math. i got to get a report card. You know, that's not a way to engage in life or in your educational experience. And so I try to make sure that every single time that they come through the door, I tell them, I need you to understand a couple things. One, I genuinely care about you. And two, I want this learning here to be personally meaningful for you. And one of the ways that we're going to do that, and this is the message I'd like to deliver to you today as a teacher to students, um, is, you know, every single time you step into a classroom, you have the opportunity to one day... Um, to prepare yourself to one day answer this question, and the question is, why should somebody choose you? The reality is, we live in a very competitive world. Right? You remember Emily yesterday? She, she was five months preparing for a job that she didn't want. Right? Because sometimes this world is really, really difficult, and we have to compete in it. And you don't have a choice. You're going to have to compete for jobs. You're going to have to compete for spots in school. You're going to have to compete for marks. You're going to have to compete for spots on teams. You're going to have to compete to, to, you're going to, have to, compete to uh, try to beat out that guy who's trying to date that girl that you want to date, you know, and, and vice versa. Okay? You're going to have to compete. And all of those competitions, you have to answer a question. And the question is, why should somebody choose you? Right? Why should somebody choose you? And every single time you step into a classroom, you actually get the opportunity to prepare yourself to answer that question. Answering that question looks like sitting down and focusing so that you can understand how learning happens. Because if you understand how learning happens, then when you go into a job or into any other environment that you find yourself in, you go into a situation where you know how to learn, and if you know how to learn, then you know how to apply. If you know how to apply, then you know how to add value wherever you're at. Okay? If you know how to persevere, well, that's something that people want in this world. If you're somebody who gives up easily, you know that you don't deserve to be chosen. So if you understand how to persevere and stay determined and be loyal and be courageous and all of these different things, which are opportunities that you have every single day in the classroom, you have the opportunity to be courageous when you put your hand up and you're not quite sure you know the answer. But when you do so, you understand that there's value in it because you understand that that's how you learn deeper. And when you're concerned about what other people are going to think about you, if you put your hand up and have an incorrect answer, well, then you're showing that you're letting other people control you. You're not taking control for your learning. So every single time you step in the classroom, you have an opportunity to answer that question, why should somebody choose you? And if you can answer that question, it means that you have a competitive advantage over people who can't. And once again, you are all in a competitive world. We're all in a competitive world, and you have to compete. You don't have a choice. I shouldn't say that you have a choice. You can give up. But that's choosing to lose. Not admirable. Especially when you have the creator of the universe available to you, and that creator proved his love for you, proved his devotion to you when he came down to this earth, died on the cross, so that you could have a relationship with him. He did not create you and then die for you to see you quit and give up easily. He created you to have a relationship with him so that you can persevere. In the way that Emily did, the way that we've been talking about this weekend. So I want to bring you to a story in the Bible. It's in Acts 9. And it's about Paul.
probably heard the story of Paul. I believe Tyler referred to it in his testimony. But Paul was somebody who was known for killing Christians. In his day, he was the type of person who would have walked through that door, come in here, dragged Christians out of this room, taken them, persecuted them, killed them, murdered them. That was who Paul was. And then Paul had, a, had an experience when he was going on the road to Damascus. And he, the reason why he was on the road was he was going to look for more Christians to kill. And while on the road, he had this experience where a cloud came down, engulfed him, blinded him, and Christ spoke to him and said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul had a conversion experience in that moment where he realized that he'd been investing in the ways of this world in ways that were leading to pride, lack of self-control, anger, all those awful things, and he chose to invest instead on the eternal side with Christ. When Paul did that, things got really, really difficult for him in his life. But through those difficulties, he had tremendous joy. And these were some of the words that he spoke after his conversion experience. Philippians 4, 11 and 13. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And then Philippians 1 21 said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Now, I encourage you to go and look at those verses, but I want to try to flush them out a little bit for us here. Um, because it's in those verses, and understanding Paul's experience in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus, that we see that Paul sets for us a wonderful example of how Christians have a competitive advantage in this world. So we know that we have to be able to answer the question, why should somebody choose you? We know that we have to compete in this world, and we know that we have the Savior of the universe at our disposal. And when we understand that, when we understand Him, and what we have in Him, that is when we understand our competitive advantage over everybody else. When we understand what we have in Jesus, that's when we understand our competitive advantage that we have over everybody else. You see, in those verses, what Paul was saying was this. I used to find pleasure in killing people I didn't agree with, and I was really good at it. I was known for being really good at dominating Christians and killing them. I was really good at it, and I got a lot of respect from people for doing so. But it was when I decided that I was going to follow Jesus and how wrong I was previously, that's when I understood that I could not be beaten. See, he thought he was a dead competitive advantage over here because he was winning. But the reality is, once he turned to Jesus, he had a competitive advantage because every moment became an opportunity to worship. And that's why I say to my son when he goes out on the ice, please always remember that your worship is always more important than winning. Because if you understand that worship is more important than winning, then you can never lose. 
Because every single moment is an opportunity to worship. And what Paul shows us here is that worship is where winning is found. You know, in these verses, basically what Paul is saying is this. And if you ever look up, look up Matt Chandler and his commentary on this, he does it much better than I ever will. But this is basically what the world said to Paul after he stopped killing Christians and started living for Jesus and traveling across the known world telling people about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They say, hey, Paul, cut it out. Stop preaching this. You know, I'm not going to stop preaching. So okay, fine. Then we're going to kill you. So live as Christ to die as gain. Hey, listen. You kill me, I go to heaven. So while I appreciate you did it quickly, have at it. All of a sudden, those people are trying to compete with him because the stock are like, whoa. Okay, well, fine, we won't kill you. We'll throw you in jail. Done. I'll go down there, I'll convert all your guards. They'll all become Christians because of me. Oh, shoot. All right. We're going to abandon you. We're going to cast you out to Lost Islands. Wonderful. I don't count the sufferings in this world as anything compared to the joy that I have in serving Jesus. You couldn't beat Paul. And what I want you to understand right now is that what gave Paul the competitive advantage, you have as well. But you have to be able to see it and experience it. When the world threw threats at Paul, he answered back with truth. Other threat. 
is what can threaten you more than death. So what is your greatest fear and what is your greatest treasure? You can answer those questions when you have a competitive advantage in this competitive world. And please remember, that doesn't mean you'll win the way that Aaron in the story on Friday night won. You might not win through accomplishment, but you can always win through worship. And when Christ is your greatest fear, your greatest treasure, and you're looking to worship him in every moment, you cannot lose. Even if you do lose a game, or a job, or a friend. You can't lose, because worship is available in every moment, which makes Christ available in every moment, which gives you purpose in every moment. And it's purpose, the same purpose that you were designed for. I recognize that we've been talking about truth, and sometimes when we talk about this truth, it's kind of like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and we have to kind of just trust it because the Bible says it, so we've got to trust it. I don't like that type of faith. Because it's faith that we don't completely understand. And when we understand truth, it will grow strong faith. Now, don't get me wrong. We've learned that we will never understand everything about the Creator. But He's given us a lot that we can understand. So then when all those things that we don't understand come up, we can have faith to say, it's okay that I don't understand that, because I understand all of this. And our faith grows. So, it's something that I have found a lot of comfort in, is the knowledge of what science and history tells us about Jesus. And the reason why I really like it is because often history and science is what the world comes at you and says, hey, how can you believe that? How can you believe the Bible? It can't be proved through history. It can't be proved through science. Look at evolution. But if you understand a few foundational pieces of history and science, you start to realize that those arguments that they're throwing at you actually don't make any sense. They are believing stories that they can't back up. And if you understand these things I'm about to, to spell out for you, it will give you a start on being able to answer the questions of why you put your faith and your trust in Jesus and why you think they should too. I am not saying that this trumps God's word. It doesn't. It confirms God's word on a deeper level. But please also remember, God's word doesn't need to be confirmed because it's God's word. But, in this competitive world where people are going to come at you with stuff, it's nice to be able to have something to throw back and hit them with. So the first thing, and some of you have heard me talk about being at back at an annual, but so I'm going to go through them quickly. Um, oh, and I should also mention that this, this weekend, all of the notes, I've created a blog that you can go to and, and review them. Alright, there's a lot of stuff in, in the notes that I haven't covered this weekend, and I, I want to give that to you because I want to have an opportunity to go and over the, the, the weeks, even years possibly, just keep reviewing it. Keep reviewing it so that you can have deeper understanding because I get the fact that I'm not nearly good enough a teacher to be able to give you this stuff in the habit. You better review it. And then it's yours. But first, history reveals God's truth. There are over 312 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. All 312 
he fulfilled, and he fulfilled them thousands and hundreds of years. I probably should say hundreds, but I think you could say thousands of years after the prophecies were given. Here's the mathematical, so here's where the science comes in. Here's the mathematical chances of somebody fulfilling 312 prophecies in a lifetime. It's one in, and then here's the number. Write down 10, and then put 157 zeros after. So there's some mathematical chances of Jesus' life having happened. That number shows it's impossible unless it's God. It's impossible unless it's God. One in 10 to 157 zeros. It's impossible. And the interesting thing is that scientists will tell you, well, look at the numbers. Look at the odds. But then they ignore that one. Because they understand that it disproves everything that you say is true. Next, history reveals God's truth. A lot of times people say, you can't believe the Bible. I people at work will tell me this. They come up and say, you can't believe the Bible. It was written hundreds of years after with people's biased opinions. Not true. If you look at all the historical evidence for the Bible, it is the most, it is the one book that we can have the most historical confidence in. And one of the reasons, there's many reasons, but one of the reasons is that people think it was written hundreds of years after. It wasn't. It was written 30 to 40 years after Jesus lived. And what that means is there were people reading the books of the Bible who also saw Jesus die and also saw him rise again afterwards. Do you really think that this word that would have been spread by people like Paul would have gotten any traction if it wasn't true? No, because those people who lived and saw it happen would have been reading this and would have said, if it wasn't true, that didn't happen. But that's not what they said. Instead, they said, that definitely happened. And that's why people went out and died for this truth. Do you really think they would have gone and been killed if they knew it was a lie? We call that insanity. And all it would have taken is one person to get brutally murdered for something they said was true that they knew that it was, and everybody else would have said, I'm out. Because this is historically documented. And when we understand these historical documents, it grows our faith. So that when there's things that we don't understand, we can, we can make sure that we have faith that it's okay because we understand it now. And then we can make God our great fear and our greatest treasure. And then we can't lose because we have a competitive advantage because worship is available at every moment to the creator of the universe. Science also reveals God's truth. Bill Gates, who's the computer expert, okay, he's quoted as saying, DNA is like a computer program, but far more advanced than any software ever created. DNA is found in the nucleus of each and every one of your cells. Think about like a Lego tower that you could create. You can create really, really complex Lego towers. But one thing that's never complex about Lego is each individual piece. There's little blocks, little ribs on the top, so they can fit in on the bottom of the top of the monster. Lego pieces are not complex. 
But you can take Lego pieces and you can create something very complex out of them. Now, the simplest part of your body and the simplest part of every living thing in the universe is made up of cells. Tiny little cells. And the tiniest portion within those cells is DNA found in the nucleus. And they are in each and every single one of your cells and every cell of a living thing on this, in this universe. It's got material in it that is more complex than the supercomputers. When you understand how complex you are, you start to understand there is no way this could have all happened by accident. And I get the fact that there's some thoughts out there right now where by some people might say, yeah, but God could have orchestrated evolutionary processes over thousands of years. We're not here to talk about that because you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how God shows joy. The reality is we are so complex that there's no way it could happen by accident. And these are just really simple ideas. If you want to get really in-depth, you can look at all the scientific research as you get older, and you'll see that, okay, now when you go into the, see, I'm going to butcher this right now, because I'm no scientist, but when you go into the, into the complexities of DNA and all the different matching that would have to happen in the cells, you start to realize that even if we had millions of years, Again, I'm not even butchering this right now, but scientists are saying that if, even if, if this universe had been created millions of years ago, or happened millions of years ago, or evolved millions of years ago, we still would not have had enough time for all the DNA to match up in a way that would have allowed for evolution to happen. We just don't have, we maybe have enough time to have 3% of all the matches that would be needed to happen. Okay. Scientifically, it doesn't make sense that God did not create this universe. So the reason why I want to present that to you is because I want you to understand a couple things. Make him your greatest fear and your greatest treasure. And understand why he can be. Understand the truth of his word and then understand that the things that the world is going to tell you about why the truth isn't true well, that's not true, because it can't be, because the things that they say they believe, the world says they believe, science, history, and all these different things, they don't line up. But you know what they do line up with? That's true. Making your greatest fear, making your greatest treasure. That is the simplicity of this weekend. Take that in every moment. And understand that you've got a competitive advantage when you do in a competitive world because worship is available in every moment. And worship is always more important than winning. But worship allows you to win in every moment and never lose. I'm sorry for us. Lord, I thank you for this weekend. Lord, I pray that you would be our greatest fear our greatest treasure in every moment. I pray, Lord, that like we talked about last night, we don't want to be motivated to go out of this room. We want to understand truth so that we can live in that truth when we go outside of the room. But at the same time, if we're being honest, and if I'm being honest, I am motivated because I understand your truth and I understand what I have available to me. So motivation isn't a bad thing. But God, I just want to make sure that I'm motivated because I understand. 
And I pray confidence. And I pray that for everyone here. Lord, you provide us with the confidence to understand that we can't lose in this world when we have you. So help us, Lord, to make you our greatest fear, to make you our greatest treasure, to look for the opportunity to worship in every moment so that in every moment we can't lose. Just like Paul couldn't be defeated, we can't be defeated. Lord, the more we learn about you, the more we realize how, we realize how awesome you are and how small we are. How great and awesome it is that you love us enough that we can love you and have a relationship with you. I pray for everyone here as we go to their small groups. I pray that you would just continue to work, and I know that you will, but that's, that's what you do. I thank you for the opportunity to be with this special group that you're working through. And Lord, I just want to pray right now for the rest of their school year that they would go through it with confidence separating themselves from this world for your sake, making you their greatest fear and their greatest treasure. And I pray, Lord, that throughout the course of the rest of the school year, that traction would be developed in their lives that carries them through the next year and the next and the next. Because, God, we are eternal beings because you've made us that through Jesus. So, Lord, please help us to invest in eternity. We understand how to invest in you and surrender to you. We love you, Lord. You're awesome. Amen. All right, my friends. You can go to your small group here. And, uh, oh, don't do that yet. Don't do that yet. Man, you're quiet. That was amazing. Alright, thanks guys. No problem. I wish everybody would have been one more time.